Let's turn together tonight to Matthew chapter number 6. Matthew chapter number 6. I certainly enjoy our singing on Wednesday. We're a, a smaller group on Wednesday evening, but there's something about uh, just the few voices that are singing tonight, and it just really stirs, stirs my heart uh, to hear God's people singing these hymns, especially tonight that all have seemed to remind us of the sacrifice and the goodness, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking tonight at verses 5 through 8, and we're, our subject for this evening is simply entitled, When Thou Prayest. When Thou Prayest. Uh, let's look at verse 5 together. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Notice again our subject, that expression, when thou prayest. The Lord here makes a great assumption and really takes this thought for granted. Uh, prayer is something that is to be a part of the believer's life. As a matter of fact, it's hard to imagine being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and not praying. Uh, there's no doubt that those around the Lord, when he spoke those words, and when thou prayest, they knew, they knew what he meant, and they also knew who he was referring to when he speaks about those hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners. Uh, this was not a mystery. Uh, this was not something that the Lord was speaking in a parable that uh, only those of his own would get. Uh, this is very, very clear. Uh, it, had, it would have been the usual custom uh, in Jesus' day to see men standing in the synagogues, standing in the corners, and praying. Uh, this was a, he was alluding to a very common uh, sight. Uh, this was not something that was hypothetical. Uh, Jesus was, he was putting his finger and pointing right to the people saying, those people that you see in the synagogues and those people that you see in the corners, this is who I'm referring to. Jesus is putting it right where it is. There is no mystery here about what he is saying. But he's, he is suggesting and telling them by calling them what they were, hypocrites, Jesus, in a way, is removing their mask. He's removing the veil that maybe they thought covered their faces. Uh, maybe it struck to the very heart of the Pharisee uh, that Jesus knew their motives, that Jesus knew their intentions. And by the way, uh, God always knows our motive. He knows why we pray. He knows what we're praying about and what we're actually seeking. And this introduces what we'll get to and we'll begin next week. Um, and then we'll carry on for the next few weeks even after that. Uh, the more familiar portion of the scripture, which is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer, is, is, is prefaced by these four verses, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. So before the Lord ever says, here's how I want you to pray, he points out the wrong way. And he points out the things that were wrong with the hypocrite or the Pharisees or the scribes. One of the things that I love about the Sermon on the Mount this far is that Jesus is very plain spoken. He is very direct. Um, I think it's been said by many 
Uh, some people like direct speakers, other people don't. Some people would rather you don't put it out there so clearly. Others say, no, I want you to just plainly speak the truth. Jesus is plainly speaking the truth. And he's calling people by what they rightly are. Uh, he's calling them uh, hypocrites. What a hypocrite often is referred to as someone who's play acting, but in the truest context here, Jesus is speaking of people who are what we'll call religionists. They're people that are in love with religion, but not so much in love with the Savior. Uh, religionists are those who are not truly seekers of God, but rather what they really are is they're seekers of popularity. Uh, it's the same targeted audience that Jesus has been speaking about as we have dealt with these other things about giving, that we've dealt about uh, loving one's enemies, forgiveness. These references are the same. These religionists, these hypocrites, these Pharisees, uh, they were more interested in popularity and being seen of men. Uh, they did nothing to exalt God, but did everything to exalt themselves. And I think that's an accurate representation of what the Pharisees truly were, self-exalters. Um, they would actually choose the time and the place where the most people would be. It would be like going to the busiest part of a city center and praying there so that mo the most people could see you. Uh, that wasn't just by coincidence that their hour of prayer had come and now they went to the street. No, they chose the times when the synagogue would be the most crowded. They chose the times when the streets would be the most crowded. And they did all those things in order that they might be seen of men. These synagogues and these corners, this was the perfect place for a hypocrite to be seen. Because that's where people would be. Um, Jesus clearly says at the end of verse 5, they have their reward. So he's basically telling us that there is no other reward coming from God for their prayers other than the fact that they have the reward that they got the applause and the popularity of man. By way of where we're going tonight, it's kind of give us a kind of a statement of of a, of a thesis type of what this passage really is going to lead us to or what, what it's led me to consider um, is that we should never be so hypocritical in our prayers to the Lord with the intent of getting praise for ourselves. So it should never be said of us. Let it never be said of us that uh, we become such so hypocritical that our prayers are for the purpose of getting praise. So what does Jesus say even more specifically? That first phrase, when thou prayest, he now gives them some instruction. He had given instruction on alms. He had given instruction on, the, on what we talked about last week. Don't let your right hand see what your left hand is doing. Don't let your left hand know rather what the right hand it, it is be done in secret. He's carrying on that same thought here. And he said, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. It is a, a, a profane, uh, as an abomination to the name of God to attempt to obtain glory that is only due unto God. Uh, this is not a light matter. Uh, so for us to say, is Jesus, how serious is Jesus about this? Uh, he's so serious that he is, he's given it in the form of a command. Thou shalt not. 
Uh, none of us would argue the Ten Commandments that say thou shalt not. Does, does that really mean what it says? Jesus really means what it says, what he says. Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. Uh, do not do anything like the hypocrites do to obtain glory from men. That includes don't pray in public to receive the praise of men. Now, what he's not saying is that it's wrong to pray in public. He's saying don't pray in public to get the attention of man, to get the praise of man. Make a pretense of it, to, to make it something about you. You realize hypocrisy always has an ambition. Hypocrisy is always seeking something. Um, hypocrisy, I'm, I'm, I'm changing my behavior to acquire something, always. Hypocrisy always has ambition. But Christ here is commanding his disciples, if you want to pray in a right manner, don't do it as hypocrites do. Uh, don't, don't have that kind of an absurd thought to think that the way you glorify God is by self-exalting yourself and putting yourself to be seen of men. It's illogical, folks, that Jesus would even, would even think, or that we should think, rather, uh, that trying to get the praise of men brings glory to God, because it certainly doesn't. Jesus, again, gets very specific. He talks about don't be like the hypocrites are, and he says, here's what they do. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Now, we are commanded throughout Scripture to pray to God. We are commanded to praise God. And we're even commanded in Scripture to praise God and pray in a public assembly. You realize that even when we gather together, uh, prayer is a commanded uh, privilege. Uh, if we were to get together as a church and, and not even pray, we would be uh, disregarding one of the commandments. We are to pray as a public assembly. Uh, it's, it isn't wrong to pray in a crowd of people. It isn't even wrong to, to pray uh, before a, a crowd in some other venue. But we're only to pray for the purpose of giving glory to God. Now, if our prayer is about testifying of how good God's been to us, it's testifying of our faith or our gratitude. But what our prayer should do is should not be like the hypocrites that want praise, but it should elevate and lift, lift God up. Our example should be to excite others to look heavenward. To look to this God that must be so grand and almighty that you're praying and giving him all the glory for it. So he's giving the contrasting view. Verse 6 has often been interpreted by many expositors and preachers in lots of different ways. He uses an interesting expression. He says, but when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray. Now, you don't have to literally interpret that the only proper place to pray is in a closet. Now, I know there are passages of Scripture where we believe the Bible and we say it's literal, and literally it's literal. <laughs> but this doesn't mean that the only proper way is to go into a closet. Jesus is going to give the example of what he means by going into this closet. Uh, he's not ordering us to avoid the presence of any other people. In other words, he's not saying the only proper prayer is by yourself. Okay? But 
He's, he, he's, he's not saying it's wrong to pray with a witness. He's speaking comparatively in logical order. He's just given us how the hypocrites do it. He's giving us a logical uh, response to the wrong way. Okay, does everybody see that? There's the wrong way, the Pharisees. The right way is so contrasting that it goes from public a public self-exaltation to in secret. That's how the difference should be. Now, it doesn't mean that it has to be always private. But we do understand that there are times, and I think if we are praying people, which we should be, there are times we should enter into that proverbial prayer closet by ourselves. Uh, you should be. Uh, it, it, there's times where it, it is completely appropriate for you to be out of the earshot of any other human being. There are times when, when prayer, uh, it really should just be you and the Lord. But he doesn't mean that it always has to be that way. There are times when some of our greatest prayer is in the presence of just ourselves and God. The temptation, I will say this, the temptation to pray for your own self-glory goes away when no one else can hear you, right? When nobody else is listening, uh, you're probably just praying and uttering the groanings of your heart and, and you're not worried about how it's coming across. You're not worried about, am I, am I stumbling over my words or am I, am I clear? You're just pouring out your heart before God. So sometimes... Also, going into that prayer closet also helps remove some distractions, right? Uh, if you're like me, try to pray in a room with other things, and you easily become distracted. I am, I am as easily distracted as anyone. And there's times you start off in prayer with a good intention to stick to it, and before you know it, you've got distracted, and it's been 15 minutes, and you somehow got from trying to pray to God to distracted on some worry or concern about the day. Now Christ often found himself withdrawing from people and praying alone. Sometime he chose a specific spot for that place to be. But that's not even really what the main subject of what God has in mind here. What God has in mind primarily here is to correct the thoughts of prayer being for vainglory. Okay? This, the emphasis is not about let's examine a hundred different places to energize your prayer life, right? And that's a, that's, that's a sermon title you'll never hear me say. 101 ways to energize your prayer life. That's just not me, but that's not what the emphasis is. The emphasis is in the context, right, of vainglory seekers and how God's people ought to be doing it in secret. So, here in a few words, whether a man prays alone or in the presence of others, he should have the same feelings towards God. So if I'm praying in a group like this, small group, large group, medium group, my thoughts should be the same as they would be as if, as if I was in my own prayer closet by myself. Now, if you think on that for a moment, that's, that's a challenge. Because sometimes we are tempted to sound more holy and pious than we really are when we're praying in public or when someone else hears us. But notice what, how he words this. 
He says, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to the Father, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. When Christ says, thy Father shall reward thee, he's declaring with this great clarity that the entire reward from the Father is a blessed gift, right? It's a gift to be able to pray unto the Father which sees in secret and also but will reward you openly. Remember last week when we looked at the first four verses about the alms. He said it again. Thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And again, we came to the conclusion last week, we don't really know what that exact reward is, but can I tell you any reward of the Father is in fact a blessed gift. Wouldn't that be a logical conclusion? God's God's going to give us this blessedness. So what Jesus is doing, for hopefully not being too repetitive here, two opposite extremes, and yet he's given us the proper view of this. Okay, so if it comes down to it, we should seek to be alone rather than desire a large company of people to hear us or see us pray. Now, Jesus gets even more specific. Verse 7, but when ye pray, again, taking for granted an assumption that God's people pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do. Now, this is another fault in prayer and overusage of words. Now, there's two words that describe or define what Jesus meant by vain repetitions, but they have the same sense. There is the one meaning which has the tense or the tone of being unmeaning talk. In other words, it doesn't really have a purpose. The other is just a, a, it has the sense of affected repetition. In other words, it's unmeaning talk that's just being repeated. Okay, that's the simplest way to put it. Unmeaning talk being repeated. Jesus is giving this, this picture here of the folly of those who believe that by using this, this barrage of words, right? This barrage of words that they are somehow in treating God's favor in a greater degree than those who use less words, right? So it's the old adage that the more words, more favor. Less words, no favor. That's the idea. And so with the idea of saying God wants more words, we're going to use a bunch of vain repetition, basically unmeaning, unmeaningful words. Okay? That's what he has in mind here. So this is not inconsistent with Scripture that says we are to be earnest in prayer. Okay? Earnest prayer does not mean always accompanied by many, 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 many words. Do you know you can be earnest in prayer and use few words? Sometimes people hear a phrase or hear a word and they say, Okay, to be earnest in prayer means I mean I'm really praying. Uh, there are there, and again I'm not I'm not knocking some of the people. There's been some great books written by written by people over the years 
um, who, who were, were well, we'll just call them great prayers. And one thing that always comes across is they would say that this person would pray for hours on end. There's nothing wrong with that. Okay, there's nothing wrong with praying for hours on end if it's being done for the right reason and for the right purpose. But if you're just praying longer so that you can say, I prayed three hours and you prayed for three minutes. That person whose three minute prayer could be more earnest than the person who prayed for three hours. The time is not what makes it is not what makes it the key. Earnestness means also how we, where our heart truly is. Uh, One of the great misunderstandings is the purpose of prayer. Uh, You realize the purpose of prayer is not for you to get something. The main purpose of prayer is not for us to receive a blessing. The main purpose of prayer is for us to begin to understand and see and have the same heart towards things that God has. That's really what prayer is about. Having God's mind on things. The grace of God, the grace of God itself, we understand, condemns those who really believe that I can somehow secure God's favor by vain repetition. Now again, this, there, are, there are religions and there are denominations that truly believe that there is effective results in these vain repetitions. For example, not to pick on one in particular, the Catholic Church still believes this. Long, vain repetitions that really are unmeaningful talk. But they believe that 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 extended period of those vain repetitions is actually gaining them favor with God. It's not that they hope it does. They truly believe vain repetitions actually bring favor. So man's philosophy is often this. The greater number of words a man speaks, the more diligent in prayer he must have been. Jesus is teaching exactly the opposite of that. Lots of words do not mean more earnestness or more diligence. I mean, think about it, the example. Someone says, you know, in order for us really to reach the throne of grace today, we all need to pray for an hour. What is the magic in the hour? There's nothing. If I'm praying for an hour just filled with vain repetition, am I truly, am I doing anything? No, the reality of what Jesus is teaching here, it's not about being talkative. Now again, remember, this is being contrasted with the Pharisees who would stand in the corners and the streets and the synagogues and go on for hours with unmeaningful talk. And verse 8 really is what pulls all of this together. Now let's read the, let's read the ver- last part of verse 7. He says, Do not use these vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them. Jesus again clearly draws the line. And he says, Do not be 
like them. And he gives them the, he gives them the single remedy to guard against vain repetition and praying like the hypocrite. Here it is in verse number 8. For your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask Him. That is a blessed truth, folks. There is not a thing on your heart and mind today that the Father doesn't already know you have need of before you ever open your mouth. Isn't it encouraging to actually know that all the needs that have piled up in your life and all the things that need to pile up in our families and we think, how I need this, I need this, I need this, your Father in heaven already knows it before you ever ask. Now, a lot of times, and again, I try to do this, I, I've, I've mentioned this before, and I try to just be, be very careful about this. Sometimes our prayer, we spend a lot of time informing God about things He already knows. Now, it's not that we're not to pray, and not, it doesn't mean we're not supposed to repeat praises back to Him and prayer thanking Him for His goodness. God knows He's good. God knows He's all-knowing. God knows He's omnipotent. But maybe when we pray, we acknowledge His omnipotence, we acknowledge His sovereignty, not to inform Him that where God says, I didn't know I was sovereign. I didn't know I was omnipotent. Thank you, little church on Petrie Road, for reminding me because of something I didn't know. However, Jesus says, but he does know what you have need of. So it's, it is great foolishness to think that I gain some sort of an advantage when I pray with multiple words because what I believe then is I believe God is, some, is just another form of man. Do you realize what Jesus is actually declaring God to be? There is, no other, there is no other God, there's no other person anywhere in the universe, no matter what universes you go to, who knows what you have need of except the one true God. Jesus is declaring the one true God in verse number 8. And He said, if you pray in these other manners, thinking you can gain God's favor, what you're truly doing is making God nothing more than another human being. It would be like me coming to one of you and giving you my prayer request or what I need and you responding back say, oh, I didn't know you needed that. He doesn't need us to tell him what we need. He already knows what we have need of. Imagine how many things we think we need to inform God about. God not only cares for us, but Jesus declares that He knows our wants. Here's, this, even, this gets even better. A friend of mine used to say this all the time, and I love this man dearly. He said, it's getting gooder and gooder. Right? Everything, well, you start thinking about what He means by this. And He says, not only does He know what you have need of, He doesn't even need to anticipate what the need coming up is going to be. You know, if you're anything like we are, you anticipate a need before you actually have it, right? So you don't, 
you just think you're going to need something a week from Tuesday because you've needed it a week from Tuesday in previous weeks, right? Do you realize he doesn't even have to anticipate? He already knows. He, he knows our wants. He, he, he knows what they are. And he even knows what our anxieties are going to be. What are vain repetitions? They're nothing more than unmeaning talk to a God who already knows all things. Now again, he's not saying we shouldn't pray prayers with a lot of words. Okay, so don't leave here tonight saying we should never pray longer than two or three minutes. That's not what the intent was. The whole intent is, is if you're just praying just to fill a gap because you think you're gaining favor of God, Jesus says don't do that. Sometimes the greatest prayer that you'll ever pray is the word help. And I'm telling you folks, there's times in my life personally where I have come to God and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to pray. It didn't sound holy. It sure didn't sound pastoral. And I've just uttered the word and sometimes it's under my breath. Lord, help. And that's been the extent of it. Now, if, if we were standing in a group of people and I'm standing and I, I stand up for a group of people and I say, Lord, help. And the other guy stands up and he prays for 35 minutes on all the glories of God. You might be tempted to say that man certainly prayed diligently, prayed earnestly, but this man over here, he just prayed help. That man's not more, they not gained more favor from God because he prayed longer than the man who simply comes and realizes when I utter the words help to the Lord, he already knows all things. Again, imagine that the expectation that Jesus has here is that God is somehow moved by an overabundance of words. Like we persuade Him. Using a lot of words to try to persuade him and move his to move him. What things you have need of before you ask him. If God knows what things we have need of before we ask him, why pray? It's the age old question. People, when they first get involved with the doctrines of grace and they get involved with sovereignty and they start learning about the doctrine of election, one of the, the misstatements is this. If this is all true, God's providence, God's sovereignty, God's election, then there's no need to pray. It's the worst accusation and I, many times it's done out of ignorance and I understand it. Why pray? Jesus is saying if God is ready and able and willing by His own free will to give us what we need, what purpose is it for us to even pray at all? Because some might say, won't our prayers interrupt His providence? And I would answer that question, no. Are our prayers going to interrupt, change His sovereignty? No. Then why pray? Now, when we get into the Lord's Prayer 
And specifically next week, when we deal with the very first thought of this, when Jesus uses the words, after this manner, therefore, pray ye, this will kind of become even a little bit more clear. So the very design of prayer gives us a very easy answer. God's people do not pray with a view of informing God about things that are unknown to Him or pressuring or persuading Him to do His due diligence or urging God as if He's some kind of a reluctant player in our game. It's the exact opposite. We pray in order that we might be brought to a place to seek Him and that we would exercise our faith in meditating on His promises. So what I'm really doing is when I'm praying, I am praying that I might be reminded of who God is. And you know one of the greatest things that happens when we pray and we truly pray with these kind of things in mind? is that a lot of our anxieties, a lot of our fears, a lot of the things that we come to Him seem to fall away. What we do when we pray is we can declare in a single word the hope we have in God. We can, in a single word prayer, declare the hope we have in God. If I call out to God with a single word prayer such as help, I'm declaring my hope is in that God. Remember, contextually, Jesus has got a very clear audience. On one side, he's got the extreme on the other. God himself has purposed freely without us even asking Him to give good things to His people. You realize God's promise to do good to His people without us ever asking. God freely gives of Himself and He freely gives of the blessings that He alone possesses. So what do we do? We maintain both sides of this truth. God knows what we need. God knows what we're going to ask for. Yet we're still told that in order to obtain those things, it is by prayer. In other words, when you say why pray, God has used prayer as the means in which He is going to freely give you those things. Again, not prosperity gospel stuff. That's not what he has in mind. Sometimes the reason God delays and sometimes the reason he maybe doesn't give us what we want is what the Bible teaches is sometimes we pray amiss. We've prayed with the wrong reason. We've prayed with the wrong purpose. But sometimes God doesn't give us those answers and doesn't give it quickly to give us an opportunity to consider the greatness of who He is. You know, nothing will test your faith more than waiting on God. To wait on God's purposes or plan and something you say, God, we needed this two months ago or I needed this two months ago. It is in those period of when God says, wait, that you learn, learn more and more about His goodness. 
I like this quote that I came across. This is a, another Spurgeon quote. He, he, his, his commentary on, on, on prayer and on this section is really, really good. But he says, to repeat a form of a prayer a very large number of times has always seemed to the ignorantly religious to be a praiseworthy thing. But assuredly, it is not so. It is a mere exercise of memory and of the organs of noise-making, and it's absurd to imagine that such a parrot exercise can be pleasing to the living God. God does not need us to pray for His information, for He knoweth what things ye have need of, nor to repeat the prayer over and over for His persuasion, for as our Father, He is willing to bless us. Therefore, let us not be superstitious and dream that there is a virtue in much speaking. In the multitude of words, even in prayer, there wanteth not sin. You can even be guilty of sin in how you pray. Such a, such a religious activity, and yet when we pray amiss, we can, prayer, we can pray sinfully. I we don't think on that very often, do we? So, let's bring this to a conclusion. Jesus says it is a given that his disciples pray. Really, there should not be a call to prayer to the life of believers. It should be a given. But rather, if we're prayerless, oftentimes it is fair to say that we possibly could be without grace. The scribes and Pharisees were guilty of both. They were, they were guilty of claiming to be gods, but yet they were truly prayerless. They were prayerless, why? Because they were without grace. But the two things the scribes and the Pharisees were guilty of, two great faults in prayer, and that's really the point I want us to leave us with, is vainglory and vain repetitions. That's what they were guilty of, vainglory and vain repetitions. Jesus said, they have their reward. If it is such a great matter between us and God when we're at prayer, that, that is our reward. To know that there's a God in heaven who hears our prayer and a Father who is willing and desires to bless us. Prayer is a reward of grace. Prayer shouldn't be a burden. Prayer shouldn't be drudgery. I will tell you, I think a lot of people have been discouraged from prayer because there have been people over the years that have said, instead of following the Lord's Prayer, for example, here's how you pray, they've led people to believe that unless you pray like so-and-so, you're, you're just not good at praying. You realize God's not looking for a good prayer. Now listen, I've listened to some preachers of old. Congregational prayer that has nearly laid me flat on my face before God. It was that stirring. Pastors standing up before congregations and praying with their congregation. And I mean, it is, it is an amazing thing. But that doesn't mean that that's the only acceptable prayer. Because it truly, these prayers were not about give us, give us, give us, give us. They were prayers about the glory of God. I've heard men go on for 30, 45 minutes and never mention themselves. Never mention a need. 
for themselves, for their family. They prayed about the glory of God. And that's really the subject we're going to deal with next week. Is when Jesus begins to teach the Lord's Prayer. He begins by the very first thought, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You notice the Lord's Prayer, before you ever get to asking for anything yourself, always exalts and emphasizes the glory of God. God is so far from being like us that sometimes the most powerful intercessions and the most powerful prayer we can ever do, for lack of a better word, is worth groanings which cannot be uttered. Before we ever open our mouth to pray, I really believe, and I think Jesus is teaching here too, that our frame of mind needs to be examined as to why we're praying, where we're praying, what we're praying for. This is one of the most amazing passages in Scripture when Jesus sits with his disciples and he teaches them to pray. Can you imagine? People often say, can you imagine what it would have been like to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen and have him teach us to pray? Guess what the Scriptures are doing? They're doing the exact same thing Jesus did. We're reading the Word of God. It's no more powerful that Jesus was with them than it is to look at the Scriptures and read them because of the presence of the Spirit which reminds us of who Jesus Christ is. So let's learn daily. Learn daily from Jesus Christ Himself how to pray. And let's go remember what we started with. Let's never be so hypocritical as to pray to the Lord with the intent of getting praise for ourselves. Let's pray together and then I'll read just a short passage of Scripture we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for this passage tonight. Lord, we thank You that Your Word is clear. We thank You that it has been preserved, that we might read it and hear it and study and learn from it. Father, our prayer tonight is simple. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray in a way that glorifies our Father which is in heaven, that does not seek vain glory, is not filled with vain repetition, but is prayer that truly does what prayer was intended to do, and that is to glorify God and His purposes and His glorious kingdom. We thank You for all that we have in Jesus Christ. And may Christ truly be exalted and lifted up in each one of our lives. And it's in Christ's name and for His sake I do pray. Amen. Let's stand together and I'm going to finish with just a short three verses found in 1 Peter chapter number 4 by way of just a brief benediction as we go. 1 Peter 4 verses 7 through 10. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another 
as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lord bless you. We'll see you on Sunday. Thank you. Thank you.